The CBS Radio Mystery Theater presents... Gothic mystery, no psychic detective is more venerated than Dr. Heselius, the creation of the writer Joseph Sheridan Le Fanu. The case history that I bring you now is remarkable because it took place before Dr. Heselius had gained his later fame. But young as he was, the same formidable intellect is at work, almost as incisive and decisive as it was to become later in life. It may be of small value, Captain Barton, but I am equally persuaded that when you start to walk again, you will hear the footsteps. But why? How? What is it, Dr. Heselius? For some undisclosed reason, and in spite of the objective evidence of the note you received, which seems to rule out supernatural influence, my instinctive judgment is that you are haunted by a familiar... mystery drama, The Familiar Ghost, was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Ian Martin and stars Charles Irving. It is sponsored in part by Contact, the 12-hour cold capsule. I'll be back shortly with Act One. better way of beginning this brooding tale than by first quoting Dr. Heselius briefly on the subject of haunted men and then introducing him to tell it. The quote, in a rough way we can reduce all such cases to three distinct classes. Some are those who by conscience are subject to illusions. Others are truly infested by spiritual agencies beyond their control. And the third are affected by some systemic disease which clouds their functions and destroys objective thought. Had I seen James Barton soon enough, I might have read his problem. Somewhere about the year 1894, a young man, whom I shall call Captain James Barton, returned to Dublin. He had served in His Majesty's Navy with distinction during the American War. He was 43, intelligent, a man of the world, reserved, and affluent. Although he kept but one manservant and one horse. He appeared to be a man who would live to a good old age and die rich. Till he met Viola Montague and fell hopelessly in love. I know I am not worthy of you, Viola. I realize there is a considerable difference in our ages. I am not a wealthy man, but I believe I can maintain you comfortably in every way. And I can offer you a devotion of such depth and strength that it is far more important than my life. I'm asking you, nay, begging you, to become my wife. Oh, James, I am overcome. I have no words. You only need one to answer, my beloved. Let it be the right one. 
For I know how unworthy I am. Stop it. I will not have you run yourself down. You are handsome and kind and strong and more than worthy. As for your wealth and your age, I care not how much you have of either. I accept you just as you are. Are you saying yes? Till my father the general returns from Europe, I cannot promise you my hand. But for myself, I give you willingly my heart and my answer. Yes. My darling, you have made me the happiest of men. Surely when General Montague sees that, he will not refuse my suit. Have no fear. Father will be your staunch supporter. Indeed, he's already a hero worshiper of yours for all your exploits at sea and the battles you've won for your country. That's behind me now. I've had enough of the sea. I never want to return to it. I hope you never shall. I want you with me. And even if Father has any notion against our marriage, it will not take me long to wind him about my finger. When will he be back from Europe? Within three weeks. And we shall be married as soon after that as I can manage. It can't be too soon for me. But it's getting late. Oh, don't go yet. I'd better. With no one in the house but the servants, I don't know if I trust myself entirely. I suppose you must. I will. Oh, James... Good night, darling. Good night. It's such a foggy and broody night. I don't like the idea of you walking home. It's not so far. Good exercise. I shall enjoy the stroll. I'll be walking on air all the way. I shall worry until I see you safe and sound tomorrow. Don't let anything happen to you. What could happen to me? I am armed and well able to take care of myself. Nothing could trouble me tonight. Not even the devil himself, though he walked in my footsteps. What prophetic echo from the inner mind could have made Captain James Barton select those special words? For in a sense, this was exactly what was about to happen to him. As he strode along the misty, shadowed streets... The leather heels of his boots echoed sharply on the cobblestones. The sound of his own boots was all very well. But of a sudden, he became conscious that he had a follower. Oh, who's there? Who are you, I say? Am I hearing things? No one there. Not even the hint of a shadow. Imagination, I suppose. Confound it. It's chilly, cold. Better get myself home. There is someone following. And yet, if I look back, there's no one there. What am I running from? Who could be following me that I cannot see? And why am I suddenly so afraid? In a panic of fear at the unknown and the unseen, poor James Barton ran until he reached his rooms. There, common sense returned, and he went to bed resolutely blotting out his imaginary follower. But the following morning, something else happened. 
which brought me into this strange case. In answer to an urgent message delivered by hand, I hurried to the Montague Mansion to meet Viola. It was good of you to come, Dr. Heselius. Your father has befriended me on many occasions. You are a good friend. Now, let us get down to whatever it is that is troubling you. I need help, or rather, I'm afraid my poor fiancé does. I was surprised at the news of your engagement. Does the general know of it? I've written him, but there has been no time for a reply. However, I have no doubt that Father will be delighted. It's... It's about the day after he proposed, when he took me to lunch. I was conscious that something was bothering James. While we were walking and even in the carriage, he kept glancing constantly over his shoulder as if someone or something was following us. He had never acted this way before? No. I'm afraid for him. Why? I don't quite know. This follower, this presence, whatever dogs his footsteps, haunts my mind, too. When he first told me, laughing it off about someone trailing him, I knew that it was nothing to be laughed off. Viola, I've known you ever since you were quite little. I've never had any indication that you were at all sensitive to the preternatural. I never have been before. I might have written it off as undue concern for someone I love, just as I'm sure James would have, if it hadn't been for this. And what is this? A letter that came to James through the post. I'm sure he never would have shown it to me except for the accident that last night this fell inadvertently to the floor from his jacket. Oh, may I read it? That's why I asked you to come. Mm. Is uh, Captain Barton aware that you called me? Oh, yes. As a matter of fact, he's here this moment in the house. I wanted to talk to you first, before you met, because you'll find he wants to push this aside. But you think it's more important than that? I am afraid. I'm terrified for him in a way I find difficult to express. I know that my husband-to-be is in dreadful jeopardy. I hope your fears are not justified. But I think if the captain is here, by all means, he should join us. He's in the next room. I'll get him. James, would you come in, dear? Of course, Viola. James, this is the Dr. Heselius I've told you so much about. Dr. Heselius, my fiancé, Captain James Barton. Pleasure to meet you, sir. And for me. Doctor... The term is not honorary, Captain. I've been thoroughly educated in medicine and surgery, though so far I have practiced neither. Uh, That does not mean to say I do not continue to pursue my studies, which, however, have taken me somewhat deeper into the realm of the spirit and the psyche itself. James, I asked Dr. Heselius here, as you know. I beg you to discuss the notes you've received and what happened the other night. Have you read the notes, Doctor? Not yet. I preferred to have your permission. That was not necessary. Here. I shall read it to you myself. To Mr. Barton, late captain of the Dolphin, you are warned of danger. You will do wise to avoid Eglantine Lane, and indeed the lady who lives at one end of it. Should you walk there again, take this warning once and for all, that you have reason to dread. And it is signed, or at least concluded, in capital block letters crudely printed, The Watcher. 
You have no idea, of course, who the watcher might be. Not the slightest. Or you, Viola? Me? Dr. Hesselius, how could I? Perhaps some other suitor? There has been no other. I will not deny to you, Doctor, that I have not made enemies. Not only those it was my duty to war against, but also among my own compatriots. The command of a ship makes a man an autocrat. But now the war is over and done with. I can think of no one who should bear a special grudge. At all events, the note is not what disturbs me. It is the follower. Yes. I must admit he bothers me also. Why, Dr. Hesselius? Because the two, if they belong together, don't fit each other, do you see? As evidenced here by this note, one is of this world, the other... <laughs> do you understand that you never saw the man who made the footsteps? That's right. But it was foggy. Still, I understand you turned back, called to him, tried to locate him. I did. And when you just paced back and forth and tried to create the echo of your own footsteps, there was no sound. Correct. Uh, it's very late, Dr. Heselius. I think Viola is tired. I'm not. I'm worried, James. Suppose after we say goodnight, Dr. Heselius and I continue the conversation. Can I drop you somewhere, Doctor? As a matter of fact, I could use a walk. And we're going in the same direction. I was anxious to have you walk with me as a witness. I guessed as much. To listen and look for whatever dogs your footsteps. Yes. But you didn't want Viola to know that it is a constant fact by now. How did you know? Am I right? Yes. More and more. Sometimes even in the daylight. But there is never a figure to account for the footsteps. No. And you have satisfied yourself that it is not a simple echo? Yes, I have. Do you still hear them? No. But as soon as we start to walk again, I know I will. It may be of small value, Captain Barton, but I'm equally persuaded that as soon as we start to walk again, you will hear the footsteps. Why? How? What is it, Dr. Sellius? For some as yet undisclosed reason, and in spite of the objective evidence of the note you received, which seems to rule out supernatural influence, it is my instinctive judgment that you are haunted by a familiar. Haunted by a familiar. Now, there is a strange and awkward word, as old-fashioned in its way as our story. The dictionary will define it as many things, but the term of choice here would seem to be held in service by a supernatural tie. But who is held in service? The ghost or the host? Which is the familiar? I shall return shortly with Act Two. back to our story of the familiar. What is it that Captain Barton cannot remember out of his past or chooses not to? 
Can the brilliant Dr. Heselius, whose mind embraces two worlds, the finite and the supernatural, solve the problem which could destruct James Barton's marriage before it even begins? You mean that I am haunted wherever I may go by a, a demon? I don't have enough evidence to answer you as yet. I still don't know whether your tormentor is alive or dead. Nor, Captain, do I think you do. Alive or dead, how do I get rid of him? Now, the first step, perhaps the only step, is remembering who he is. How can I remember someone I cannot see but only hear? Who writes me in print so that I cannot recognize the hand and who signs his letter only the watcher? Time must answer that for you. But I have no time. Or little. Within the next few days, General Montague will return. And I hope give his consent to my marriage to Viola. I would not advise that until I realize that marriage to her will be impossible until this matter is resolved. Of course you do. I propose you come to my offices tomorrow and allow me to make as thorough a physical examination of you as possible. There's nothing the matter with my health. Would you rather the problem was all in your mind? No. I'll come to your offices in the morning. Good. For tonight, let us see you safely home. How can I be safe while I am hounded? You hear the steps again. Yes, yes. I shall not sleep tonight, nor any night, until this torture is gone. I was puzzled and intrigued by this curious hallucination. The imaginary footsteps that dogged Captain Barton were easy enough to account for. Our imagination can, under periods of great stress or excitement, conjure up almost any unbelievable terror. But the note, now that was something else again. Clearly, this was no simple case. The threat came from this world as well as the world beyond. And with the captain's visit the following morning, the mystery only deepened. This came by the morning post. My man brought it to me. The same crude printing as before. Never mind the printing, doctor. Read it. Hmm. You may as well think, Captain Barton, to escape from your own shadow as from me. Do what you may, I shall follow or see you as often as I please. I will do better than that. I shall let you see me, for I do not want to hide myself as you fancy. If you are of good conscience, what do you have to fear from the eye of the Watcher? He means to reveal himself. Won't that be all to the good? I... I don't know. You haven't guessed who he might be? No. Then perhaps when you see him, you will. At all events, whoever he is, he seems to belong to the natural world rather than the supernatural. But what about the footsteps? Imagination plays tricks on all of us. A man would have to be mad to imagine something like that. Not necessarily. Let me examine you thoroughly, physically, and then worry about any aberrations of the mind. I found him in excellent health. Remarkable condition, in fact, for a man of his age. Had I not known it, I could easily have concluded that here was a man in his mid or early thirties, in the prime of life. My report to him seemed to lift his spirit somewhat. 
There were a few laboratory tests to be completed, and we made an appointment for the following day. But another development was to enter this strange case before that appointment was kept. Oh, my dear Miss Montague, Viola. What an unexpected pleasure. May I please come in, Dr. Hesselia? By all means. I thought perhaps uh, Captain Barton was with you. No, we we parted after luncheon. Uh, let me take your shawl, my dear. Uh, no, I'd rather keep it. I'm chilled to the bone. We we have just seen the watcher. We? James and I. You saw this person also? Yes. Clearly? Well, we were in the carriage on the way home. There was quite a crowd gathered at the corner of Eglinton and Copley Streets. And all of a sudden, I felt James give a compulsive start. He had told me the good news of his general health, but the start was so violent. I thought for a moment that, that perhaps he'd had a heart attack. I turned to him quickly. No. James. James, what is it? Are you ill? I... I see him, Viola. Who? The one who follows me. The watcher. Where? There, in the crowd. Don't you see him? The short man there, wearing the fur cap and that strange foreign coat. Can't you see him? With the red face and the brown teeth clenched in that awful smile. Stop the carriage. I've got to catch him. Find out what he wants. Shake it out of him. No, James, no. Don't risk going near him. I must. I've got to see him face to face. Did he catch him? No, Dr. Heselius. I mean, I don't know. He disappeared into the crowd and seemed as if he might have turned into Eglinton Lane. Whatever had interested the crowd seemed to be over and they dispersed. Quite suddenly, the corner was empty and James had vanished into thin air. Did you look for him? Oh, yes. I had the driver turn into Eglinton Lane and we went the whole length of it. There was no sign of James. At his lodgings, his servant said he had not returned. I went back to the corner where he disappeared. He wasn't there. In desperation, I came here. What am I to do? Can you describe him to me? A little man with a red face marked as though by the pox. He had bad teeth and this terrible fixed smile on his face. And he wore a strange-looking coat and this fur hat with ear laps. He would have looked ridiculous if it hadn't been for the smile. Interesting. If he was smiling, why would you fear him? There was no warmth in the smile. It was as though someone from behind had seized the corners of the mouth and dragged them up and back till it was more of a snarl or a silent shriek of pain. When I think of it, I'm in terror for James' very life. It took me some time to calm Viola. I then saw her home in a carriage. I left her to attend to one or two business matters. Then, returning later to my own quarters on foot, was vastly cheered to find, waiting on my doorstep, an obviously healthy, if disturbed, Captain James Barton. Dr. Hesselius, thank heaven I caught you. I was about to leave again. Oh, Captain Barton, before anything, we must let Viola know that you are safe. She already knows. I came away from there shortly and hurried here by Hackney. 
When I found you away, I was at my wit's end after what happened. By all means, come in. Come in and tell me. Viola says she had told you we saw the Watcher. I know you saw him and pursued him. Did you catch up with him? Uh, Let's go into the drawing room. No, he led me a pretty chase. But eventually, in some twisting alleys, I lost him. Why, then, didn't you return to Viola? I was in no condition to face anyone. Why were you so upset? Did you recognize this man you were chasing? No. Then why did he have such an effect on you? The concentrated malevolence that issued from that shrunken figure. The utter evil he projected. The fiendish terror projected by that snarling smile like a wolf or some dread vampire... The mouth stretched till it hurt against the rotting, jagged teeth. And how did you lose him? I was right on his heels as he turned a corner. And as I hurtled round it, ready to pounce and seize him, he was gone. As if he had never been. As if he were but a figment of some awful nightmare. And yet you are sure you saw him. Yes, and Viola too. And so she said. But that might have been the power of suggestion. Every detail of her description was a repetition of what you said you saw. I did see him and recognize No, how could I? Let me ask you a question, Dr. Heselius. Yes? If a man had locked your and died of it, or appeared to as testified by a doctor of reasonable competence, might he, after all, recover? Impossible. But a blunder could be made. No, no physician with the knowledge of death could mistake it in a case of that horrible disease. Is there any disease which could cause a man to shrink in all his proportions, still preserving his exact resemblance in every detail, with the exception of his height and bulk? That I can answer firmly, none. Then I am haunted. And this thing is supernatural. But you recognize who it is. Not yet, not yet. I know the face, but I can't make the connection with the past. But he is, as you said, a familiar, my familiar, tied to me. Oh, how can I rid myself of him? How can I determine at last who and what he is? fragments to start to fit together. Some answer to the mystery. And two days later, a certain advertisement in the Dublin newspapers arrested my interest. If Sylvester Yelland, formerly foremost man aboard His Majesty's Frigate Dolphin, or his nearest of kin, will apply to Mr. Hubert Smith, attorney, and his office in Dame Street, he or they may hear something to their great advantage. Admission at any hour till 12 at night, and full confidentiality assured. Was it possible the Watcher was alive after all? Whatever visitors Lawyer Smith might have, I resolved that I would be one of them. Not for the purpose of giving information, but of receiving or extracting it if I possibly could. Oh. 
Perhaps at last, through the medium of an advertisement, this strange puzzle of a haunted man is nearing solution. But is Dr. Hesalius right in assuming, simply on the slim evidence that the ship named was the one which Captain Barton once commanded, that it has any connection with him? We'll find that out when I return shortly with Act Three. are haunted by mistakes in our past, sins of both commission and omission. Something far deeper is born on the current from Captain Barton's past life, something that bears with it the threat of retribution. But is the threat one of physical violence or something darker and far worse? A spiritual accounting from beyond the grave too unspeakable to try to put into words. advertisement in the paper, I had been convinced that only Captain Barton could have placed it there. I could have gone to him directly, but I hesitated too. In a sense, it was none of my business, but I took it that the identification of Sylvester Gelland might solve the mystery of the captain's mysterious follower. So I went to see Lawyer Smith. Come in, then. It's unlocked. Mr. Hubert Smith? That same, sir. May I ask? My name is Dr. Hesalius. Ah. I'm here at the instigation of the advertisement you placed in the paper. Oh, then you know something of this Sylvester Yadam? No. My object was to ask who placed the advertisement. That, I'm afraid, would be privileged information. Why do you ask? As I said, I am a doctor. I am concerned about a patient of mine... Captain James Barton. Do you know him? I think I must clarify my position. I am, as you know, an attorney. A client has retained me to try to ascertain the whereabouts of the party named in the advertisement, at the same time enjoining me to total secrecy as to his identity. Did Captain Barton place this ad? The answer is a categoric no. Then can you tell me who Sylvester Yelland is? Has he gotten in touch with you? That's a question I will not answer. Nor any others on this subject whatsoever. Uh, good day, Doctor. I left Mr. Smith, the attorney, convinced in my own mind that I was right about Captain Barton. I was sure he had inserted the ad. I went to Viola. A fortunate thing that I did, for I found her in woeful condition. Oh, I thank the Lord you came by. Dr. Hesselius, I'm at my wit's end. I don't know what to do. Captain Barton? Yes. My poor darling is slowly being driven mad by this strange creature who haunts his footsteps. Sylvester Yellen, do you mean? Who? <sighs> the name means nothing to you. No. You did not happen to read this in the daily newspaper today? What is it? A personal advertisement. From the agony column. James, put this in the paper. It says that the man was on board the Dolphin. Wasn't that his ship? Yes, but the ship has had other captains, other crews. It could be coincidence. Well, possibly. My instinct tells me there's some strong connection between this man and your James. I'd give a great deal to know just who he is. 
Then why don't you ask James himself? It's what I intend to do without delay. But I was to be frustrated in that determination by the sudden arrival home of Viola's father. General Montague was a man of exceptional force. A lifelong experience of command had accustomed him to attacking problems head on. Since he had known the Barton family all his life, and in fact, James himself, 10 or 12 years earlier, he considered him a most desirable match for his daughter. As for James's follower, he dismissed him with a roar of laughter. Oh, absolute tummy rot. General Montague, believe me. My dear Captain, I've heard enough from Viola not to need to hear any more from you. She tells me that you are a victim to blue devils in a new and original shape. I am afraid it's a good deal more complicated. Oh, come, this will never do. You are more like a man on his way to the gallows than to the altar. As to that, General, much as it pains me, I have been thinking very seriously. Your whole problem is brooding on things when you should be in a transport of joy. Your annoyance with the occasional appearance of an ugly little man throws you into fits. So let me handle this. Let him just appear once more. <laughs> I shall beat him to a jelly with my own hands. If you knew what I know, you would speak very differently, General. Don't imagine that I am so weak as to assume without overwhelming proof the conclusion to which I have been forced. The proof of it is locked up. Oh, what is it? Oh, your, your hand, it, it's bleeding. It's nothing. I, I caught my finger on this nail by the window. It, it's rusty, Captain. You ought to have that seen to. There's always the danger of lockjaw. Lockjaw? Well, certainly, from the infection. Perhaps. That will be the answer. What are you staring at out of the window? He's there. Standing, looking up at us. Oh, where? By the lamppost. Oh, confound this fog. Which lamppost? The one across the street. In his greatcoat with the flaps of his cap flying. And he's smaller than ever. He's shrinking. But that smile. That ghastly smile. Oh, yes, I do believe I see him. Let me get my cane and I'll thrash the rascal out of your life forever. My life. Never. Till it is ended. I tell you, Dr. Heselius, I, I, I saw the man. Are you sure, oh, General? When I came out the street door, there was someone by that lamppost who fits the description... But as I came out brandishing my cane, the, the fellow just melted into the fog. He... I say, Sirius, you don't suppose he really is? Oh, no. No, I'm quite sure whoever he is, he has been, all right. The problem is, is he still? And who and what is he? Or was he? You got no explanation from the captain when you returned? None. Only the question, you saw him? To which I answered, yes. You are quite sure? Now, look here, he said, as I don't take to being questioned like some common criminal. I may be getting on in years, but I've never doubted the evidence of my own eyes. That finger Barton caught on the rusty nail. The danger of lockjaw. I don't like it. Now, then there is danger of serious infection. Remember the man, the little man with that strange, stretched smile? I wonder. 
I, I don't follow you, but, but I do know this is something out of my ken. Can't you have a talk with Barton? I'd better. Or else he may not be able to keep his balance on the brink of tragedy. It will be too late. But before I had the opportunity to visit the captain, Viola herself had been there. And things in this strange affair had taken a new turn. This is what Viola reported to us after her visit. James, darling. Well, no. Go away. Please, let me in. You should not be here. Go away from me, as I begged you. Forget me. I'm not worthy. Let me be the judge of that. Darling, it's cold. Let me come in. Why not? The struggle is almost ended now. Come in. What struggle, darling? My sufferings will soon be over. I pray I leave you no legacy of suffering, too. What suffering? Retribution. My punishment for my sins. I don't know what to say to you except for whatever it means. Comfort has been revealed to me. I am happy to hear you speak so tranquilly. Peace and cheer of mind will make you yourself again. I can never be that, Viola. Forgive me for what I have done to you. I am no longer fit for life. I am soon to die. There is no help for me anymore. There is no hope or joy left. Only one last smile. The smile of well-deserved death. devastated by her rejection. And in a strange turn of face, the general, instead of being relieved, was furious at what he considered an insult to his daughter. I myself made a visit to the captain's chambers, but his servant informed me he was not at home. So two days passed before that same servant came knocking wildly at my door while the general waited for me to join him in the carriage. We drove straight to Captain Barton's lodgings. Well, he has to be in there. The, his servant insisted he was. The door is locked from the inside. Then I'm afraid we're too late. Yes, so am I. But I would have hesitated to break the door down alone. No time for hesitation anymore. It's a sturdy door. Not that sturdy. I think we can manage it between us. Ready? Yes. Here we go. It's giving. Once again. Oh. Oh. Good Lord. Control yourself, General. I'm... I'm sorry, Sirius. I've seen plenty of men dead in battle. It isn't the fact of death that shocks me. It's the manner... I've never seen any man, no matter how terrible his injury looked like that. It's the most desperate agony I've ever seen. The parody of a smile. The captain lay in his bed, 
composed enough, as though he had been waiting for death. But as relaxed as his body seemed, the skin, muscles, flesh were drawn back over his skull so tightly that his head had snapped back, driven deep into the pillows. As a physician, I recognized the cause of death immediately. The explanation was not so easy, although information I gained from the attorney Hubert Smith seemed to be the answer. No, I... I am distressed at the news you bring me, Dr. Isagas. And I can only hope that you can give me some answers. Oh, to what? The mysterious Sylvester Yelland. Did anyone ever answer the advertisement? And I can speak now and answer you, yes. The guardian of a young man who has not yet attained his majority. A young man who's also named James Barton. Huh. The captain's son. That's correct. There's no question after what has happened. And the captain named him his sole heir. Who was his mother? She was the daughter of a man named Sylvester Yelland. Twelve years ago or so, when James Barton first became captain of the Dolphin, he fed in love with a young woman. But after a while, he sailed away like other mariners. But her father was one of the sailors on his ship. Within a year, she gave birth to a child and died on the childbed. And the enraged father, when the news reached him, tried to wreak his revenge on Captain Barton. And Barton killed him? Ah, not quite. Captain Barton had forgotten the woman entirely. And thinking the man Yellen was a mutineer, had him flogged. He was cast in the brig, developed an infection, and within a few days had died horribly of lockjaw. Lockjaw? You seem surprised. Little wonder. That was what killed the captain himself. There it is. But what did kill Captain Barton? Remorse? The pangs of conscience? A visitation from the dead that haunted him? Or an accidental finger wound on a rusty nail? Or a combination? Whatever it was, he died just as the man whose daughter he wronged. His face contorted in the terrible smile of death that tetanus visits on its victims. The rhesus sardonicus. Let me hasten to add, to reassure all of you, that this story would not have been possible today. All children get shots to guard against the virulence of tetanus, and the vaccine is absolute protection. 200 years ago, we were not as fortunate as we are today. I'll be back shortly. Aliverdi, an epic saga, a rich, lusty novel of three generations set against the dusty Pueblo that became modern Los Angeles. Aliverdi is the drama of Emily, sensitive, supremely passionate, and the two Van Vliet brothers whose fierce love for her almost destroys them all. Aliverdi is the next generation, kingdom, flying ace, and silent movie idol. Shy Tessa drawn toward the most dangerous of loves. Aliverdi, the new best Jacqueline Briskin from McGraw Hill at your bookstore now. Volunteers. Call your local Girl Scout Council today. Girl Scouts for us. Being 
think you could say that this has been, in every sense of the word, a morality story. As I mentioned before, we all make mistakes. That is the human lot. It is only or make amends that we deny our birthright. We can try to shut our minds, convince ourselves that we have forgotten them, but we cannot control the watchdog of our minds. Shakespeare said it, for conscience doth make cowards of us all. Our cast included Charles Irving, Gordon Heath, Terry Keene, and Ian Martin. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. And now, a preview of our next tale. The Butcher. His real name was Valdez. What was his first name? Do you remember? Marcos. Colonel Marcos Valdez. I've often wondered what happened to him. Sometimes I fantasize about returning here to fetch him out. I really must get back to that restaurant and speak to that woman. It wouldn't be advisable. Why not? It's what I was trying to tell you before.